that song is so transparent. And that song has been on the number one charts for a while now. And it's done really, really well, written by Mercy Me. And I think just because it's so honest. See, Carlton Burris once told me, he said, if you preach to hurting people, you'll always have an audience. And today we're going to be looking at James chapter 1. And the center of James chapter 1 is trials and tribulations. We can all connect with this. See, after preaching, sometimes people honor me by walking up and they say something along the lines of, it feels like you were speaking directly to me or the Holy Spirit was really just permeating my heart. It seems like that sermon was tailor-made for me. Well, let me go ahead and tell you, I believe the Holy Spirit has tailor-made this sermon for every single person sitting in the seats. Because if we're going to talk about anything more applicable, I can't think of anything quite more applicable than trials. We recognize that we live in a fallen world surrounded by fallen people. And because of that, we are going to have trials and tribulations. It is obvious. And what we're going to do here is we're just going to give you the sermon in a sentence. You ready for this? We can face life's trials with a sense of joyful confidence and faith when we understand God's purposes within the trial. Saying that, we're going to be looking at James chapter 1. Now, James understood a good little bit about trials. Believe it or not, the book of James is more than likely the very first book to have ever been written of the New Testament. And James was the half-brother of Jesus. See, there was a couple other half-brothers as well. There was Joseph, Simon, and Jude, and a couple of half-sisters, as we see in Mark chapter 6, verse 3. And they grew up with Jesus in his home, watching their older brother live the perfect, sinless life. But hear this. In John chapter 7, verses 2 through 5, we see something interesting that happened. Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. His brothers therefore said to him, depart from here and go into Judea, that your disciples also may see the works that you were doing. For no one knows anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. Key, key part. For even his brothers did not believe in him. So even at some point, James, who later became a writer of scripture, who later became a martyr for the faith, at one point did not even believe that his very own brother was the Savior, the Son of God. But that changed. See, even after the crucifixion, what happens is Jesus is resurrected. And then it says in 1 Corinthians 15, 7, Jesus appeared to James, then to all the apostles. There was a close connection between Jesus and his half-brother James. James is mentioned as being a part of the upper room in Jerusalem. It also says that he was more than likely there when the day of Pentecost happened. Also, he later became the leader of the Jerusalem church when Peter was released from prison. And he chaired the Council of Jerusalem. And if you don't know what that is, I recommend you Google that. Google that. That is a great piece of information for us. I don't have time to cover. But long story short, James became a pillar 
of the church. James became a foundational piece that God used to make a big, big difference for the glory of God. But he saw his share of persecution. From the very early stages of the church, the church was persecuted. And we recognize that James later in his life died for the cause of Christ and became a martyr. Hear me. James understands trials and tribulations. Now, we're going to go through this text, and just to warn you, we're going to break this down in tiny little chunks. So bear with me. James chapter 1, verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, significant here, the word servant is actually bondservant, doulos. Now, what's significant about the word doulos, a bondservant did not find any identity or worth within themselves. They found all of their worth in who they belonged to. And he says, I consider myself a bondservant, absolutely worthless, except... To whom I belong to, I find worth and value. And I belong to who? I belong to God and to Jesus Christ the Lord. Now, why is that so significant? Let me remind you again. This is Jesus' half-brother. It is hard enough to get a brother to compliment you versus getting a brother to call you Lord and Savior. There has to be some integrity behind their relationship. He had to have seen Jesus display perfection. And you can only imagine that at some point or another, James was dealing with jealousy and frustration with Jesus as they grew up. Because you know, you know very good and well that Mary at some point had to have said, James, why can't you be more like your brother Jesus? Jesus. Like you just know that had to have happened. And see, you have the older brother that you're already mad at because he gets to stay up later than you and do cooler stuff than you get to do. And then not to mention he's perfect and nothing you ever do is going to measure up to how great your older brother is. Talk about pressure. And then for him to later to humble himself and to say, he's not my brother. He's my Savior and my Lord, the High King of Heaven. Yeah, I grew up with him in his home. And guess what? If anybody would have or could have had dirt on Jesus, don't you think James would have had it? Don't you think James could have at least come up with one instance where he knew Jesus sinned? Like, don't you think that? Like, if Jesus was, wasn't perfect, James would have been the guy to know. How do we know that the gospel is true? How do we know that those things that happen in the New Testament, those that walked and talked with Jesus, how do we know that they really happen? Because if you were to lie, you lie for self-benefit, don't you? If you were to lie, you die for your own benefit, for your own gain. But would you hold on to a lie that would eventually get you killed? Would you hold on to a lie believing, saying out that Jesus was the son of God, that Jesus did all those things. If it was a lie and you were threatened and they said, stop saying those things or we will kill you, wouldn't you stop saying it if it was a lie? But James was willing to die for the truth. James knew that that older brother of his, that half brother, remember, same mom, completely different dad. We recognize that he knew from the very beginning that Jesus was perfect. And later on in life, he recognized that Jesus was the Savior, the coming Messiah. And he calls himself a doulos, meaning he has no value. It all has value as to who he belongs to, which is Jesus. So 
He then says to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. The 12 tribes in the dispersion. Now, what is the 12 tribes of the dispersion? Well, it's the scattered Jews. Because what had just happened is right after, right before James wrote the book, the stoning of Stephen occurred. And when Stephen was stoned, Christians scattered. The 12 tribes of Israel went all over the place and they went into hiding to an extent in order to preserve the gospel and to keep it going forward. And so he's talking to these people that are what? Facing serious trial. I'm not talking they're having a hard day. I'm talking their lives are at risk for the sake of the gospel. Verse two, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Now, this is something pretty stiff to say to these people. Now, I'm going to go ahead and say something that I think is really important. I want for you to understand that when it says, count it all joy, my brothers, it doesn't mean that when you're going through trials, when you're going through hardships, you're supposed to pretend like you're happy. That's not what scripture says. It doesn't say that when you're going through hardships and when you're going through trials, you're supposed to fake it like everything is okay. Can I go ahead and tell you that to sin? It's called lying. When people ask you how you are, especially your fellow brother and sisters in Christ, and you look at them and you say, hey, I'm doing just great, or, or my favorite, I'm so blessed. That's a really good way of not telling anybody anything. Can I be honest with you? And here's what I want to do. I want for us to continue the tradition that IBC has held for years of being able to lean upon one another. If you cannot be honest with your brothers and sisters in Christ about what you are going through, then you can't be honest with anybody. Listen, you do not put, have to put on a face when you come here. You don't have to put on a fake persona as if you are perfect and every good day has happened to you this past week and everything is just golden and roses. That is not who you have to be. We want to love you through your trials just like Jesus does. And if you're never honest with us, then we can never pray for you. Hear that. If you do not, if you're not honest with your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, then you're not getting any prayerful support. You're not getting any support whatsoever. Listen, it is no secret that you have issues. Can I just throw that out to you? The cat's out of the bag. You're messed up. You got problems. We know it. When you act like everything's okay, guess what? We know you're lying. That's okay. Listen, when you go through hardships, I want for you to recognize that you're supposed to lean on the church. You're supposed to lean on the other brothers and sisters of Christ. So what is joy? What is joy? Because if we're supposed to have joy during a trial, what does that mean? Before we get to that, let me say this. Some people will say things like, hey, if we really follow after Jesus, trials will not come. Please don't ever say that because that is a direct insult to our brothers and sisters serving the Lord overseas in foreign countries that are being executed and are being persecuted for their faith. Don't ever pretend, don't ever act like if we follow after Jesus, everything is supposed to be good and trials aren't supposed to come. Let me say this, and some of you really need to hear this today. There could be trials in your life that are not your fault hear that. There are trials in your life that you didn't ask for, that you didn't deserve, that you didn't cause. Now, some are your fault. Let's be honest. Those are called consequences. But recognize also there are things going on in your life that you are not to blame for. 
Listen, the problem that you're having with your kids very well may not be your fault. Do not blame yourself for that. Hey, that issue that you're having at work may not be your fault. Listen, we have consequences to actions, but often trials come when we did absolutely nothing wrong. Do not blame yourself for those. So we see count it all joy when we meet trials of various kind. What does joy mean? The happy face? No. What joy means is we find peace and comfort in joy and the fact that we know who sits on the throne. We know who's in control. When we are in the face of a trial, we turn and we have joy because Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. Jesus is in charge. And I think when we are not, when we are in a trial, we are reminded that we are not on the throne. I think that's something to be grateful for because guess what? If I am king and Lord over my own life, I'm really gonna mess it up. Let me just be honest. I am so grateful I am not. So we find joy in what? That Jesus is in control even when things feel out of control. Joy is a really great trigger word all throughout scripture. Hebrews 12, 2. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Jesus sets the example. Why? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, it set down at the right hand of the Father. Philippians 4.4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Nehemiah 8.10, I love this one. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. See, there's another story. Apostle Paul and a little friend of his named Silas were in a jail cell for what? Preaching the faith, doing the work of the Lord. And as they're sitting in the jail cell, there was this moment where Paul looks over to Silas and says, hey man, you feel like singing? And they did. And they joyfully praised the Lord. Why? Because not because their situation was good, but they knew that God was in the middle of their situation. They knew that God was still in control and they knew that they were following after the Lord and they were in God's will, even though they were in a really bad place. Do you see the joy that Christians get to have? Because even when life gets tough, we get to recognize that God's still on the throne. God's still King of kings and Lord of lords. And guess what? He's in charge. He's in charge. He has the power and authority. And guess what? When we are not living in sin, when we're pursuing Jesus and we find ourselves in trials, I find it a blessing. I find it a blessing because we recognize we are in the direct hand of what God wants us to be going through. And we recognize there is a purpose to the pain. Let's look at verse two. Count it all, joy my brothers when you meet, when you fall into trials of various kind. See, when you meet, that word best, best translated, fall into trials. Trials that you didn't ask for. These 12 tribes of Israel, the ones that were dispersed, they did not ask to go through trials. They didn't deserve, if you will, to go to trials. This wasn't a consequence of their sin, but they went to it. Trials hit us in the face. And there's two ways we face trials. One way we face trials is trials happen because of our faith. We have persecution because of our faith. The enemy wants to put trials in our life because of our faith. See, sometimes we get things messed up. We think the enemy's out to get us, that Satan's out to hurt us, that Satan's goal in life is to make us absolutely miserable. That's not true. Can I go ahead and tell you this? 
When you think that Satan's out to get you, you're making yourself way too big of a target. Satan's not out to hurt you. He's out to hurt our father. And here's what we have to understand. See, I, I know a whole lot more than I used to just because I, I'm a dad now, and that changes everything. And here's what's funny. I've learned that if somebody really wants to hurt me, they don't hurt me. They hurt my kid. And you know what's more hurtful than hurting my kid? If you cause there to be distance between me and my son, if you, somebody were to take my son away from me, I can only imagine that that would be the most hurtful situation I could ever go through. And what does the enemy want to do? The enemy wants to use trials in your life to cause distance between you and your heavenly father. He wants to separate you from your dad. Listen, he's not out to hurt you. He's out to hurt your heavenly father. And what's the best way to do that? To use you. That is his goal. So what happens is, is trials used by the enemy. He tries to use trials to define us. Jesus allows trials to refine us. Do you hear that? See, trials can define us, but Jesus says, hey, we won't let trials define you. He defines you, but he can use the trial to refine you. Trials happen because of our faith, but also trials happen in spite of our faith. Sometimes we think, hey, we've done everything right, Jesus. You owe me so big. Listen, God's word says that all of your righteous deeds are like filthy rags. They don't measure up. They don't match up. Jesus doesn't owe us anything. He doesn't, but he promises us everything when we give our hearts and lives to him. That makes the difference. That changes the game. Do you hear me here? So check this out. John 16, 33. In this world, we will have troubles, but what? Ooh, this is good. Take heart because I have overcome the world. When we go through trials, we recognize that God is working inside of us in the trials. And here's the thing. We need to listen to the good shepherd and not the enemy. Because see, the enemy wants to speak to us too. What's the very thing that the enemy did in the garden? The enemy came in the form of a serpent, talked to Eve and said what? Hey, did God really say that? Does God really not want you to partake in that? See, what the enemy does in trials is he says things like, hey, does God really love you? Would God, that great good God, really allow you to go through this? See, we have two voices we can listen to, but we listen to the good shepherd who says that in this world you will have trouble, but I have overcome the world. Abide in me. Why does God allow trials to happen? Well, I read a quote this week by a woman that's actually a paraplegic. She jumped into a river as a kid, uh, making her a quadriplegic. She can't She's been confined to a wheelchair for years, and she wrote a book called Sacred Suffering, Miss Joni Erickson Tata, and she has a quote, God sometimes permits what he hates to accomplish what he loves. God sometimes permits, key word, permits what he hates to accomplish what he loves. I'm gonna add to that sentence. God always redeems what he allows. And do not think that anything that the enemy intended to hurt you, God can't turn around and use for your good and for the good of the kingdom. So when trials come, we recognize that that is another opportunity for us to become more like Jesus. Verse three, we see the benefit of our trials. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfast. 
steadfastness. Now, this word testing is a really interesting word that I've learned to appreciate. This word testing is also the same word that the Jews would have recognized to go synonymously with what a silversmith would do with silver. See, a silversmith would test the silver. And in testing the silver, he is trying to refine the silver to be pure silver. So here's what he does. He takes the silver. He would heat it up as hot as the silver could stand. And once the silver got incredibly hot, the impurities of the silver would rise to the top. And then the silversmith would go and scoop out the impurities, let it cool, do the process again. And over and over again, he would perform this process, heating the silver up to the point of boiling, scooping out the imperfections, letting it cool. Do you know when the silversmith stopped? Do you know when he knew that it was pure silver? When the silversmith could look down at the bar of silver and see his reflection. That's what the Father does for us. What he does is he allows us to go through trials over and over, allowing for our issues, our sinfulness, our problems to rise to the top so he can refine them and remove them to make them aware to us so that eventually when he looks down, he can see his reflection. That is powerful, church. When we go through trials, we count it all joy because we recognize that God will use it for our good. Verse 4 and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. See, the lie that the enemy wants you to believe is Jesus wants to make you happy. Jesus doesn't want to make you happy. Jesus wants to make you holy. That's what we have to cling to, church. Jesus did not die on the cross for your happiness. He died on the cross for your holiness so you could achieve righteousness through his gift so that you could have access to the Father, that you could be seen by our heavenly Father because of the blood of Jesus. He's not concerned about your earthly happiness. He wants your holiness. Trials come to refine us, but trials also produce endurance and let steadfastness, that word steadfastness could be seen as endurance or stability. Let steadfastness, let stability, let endurance have its full effect. Trials prepare us for what's next in life. Y'all, here's what's funny. When I was younger, I used to think that by the time I was in my 30s, life would be really easy because I just kind of have it all figured out. Like I did, I thought that, hey, as you, when you get to like adult status, you know, not, not like 20s adult, because you're not really adults yet. When you hit like 30, you really start to feel like an adult. But here's the thing, can I just go ahead and tell you, life never gets easier. Problems get bigger, but you become more equipped to go through your problems because God has allowed for you to be trained in your younger years with smaller issues that build up to where as your life gets more and more complicated, you're more dependent and confident in our Holy Savior. Listen, here's something funny. A couple, couple months ago, about six months ago, I, I recognize I'm not going to hide the fact that I'm in my rookie status here, right? First year of senior pastor ministry is in the books. And about six months into it, I took advantage of a really valuable tool I have here in Carlton Burris, who's been here for 35 years as a senior pastor. Blessing. So here's the thing. I called him. I said, Carlton, I got a problem. He says, okay, what is it? And for about 10, 15 minutes, I download onto him. And he doesn't say a word. 
I just hear him on the other line every now and again go, huh? Huh? Hmm. Right? <laughs> and finally, I finish, and it's like this awkward pause. I said, Carlton, what do you think? And he laughed and goes, Sean, I'm still waiting for you to tell me what the problem is. And I said, well, what do you mean? He goes, you can't call that a problem. He says, you think that's a problem? He says, son, you don't know what problems are. See, here, here's what's interesting. Yo younger folks, can you, can you hear me for a second? Just pay real close attention. One of the biggest encouragements that you can have in your life and your walk with Christ is being friends with a senior saint. Because guess what? They do not flip out or freak out when life gets hard. They've been through it enough to know that the sun is still going to rise tomorrow and Jesus is still on the throne. See, we get freaked out over the smallest things, but they recognize that God has never failed them nor left them, nor will he fail or leave you. So saying that, let me go ahead and say, as we get older, we get better endurance because we have endured and we recognize that God that was faithful in the small things will be faithful with the large things that we go through, amen? That is why we go through trials. We can experience God so greatly through our trials. Hear me when I say this. Francis Chan, a very popular pastor, interviewed 23 South Korean missionaries who went to Afghanistan. Hear that, South Koreans falling in love with Jesus, moving to Afghanistan to make a difference for the gospel. And they were captured and taken in by the Taliban. 23 of them were searched and then put into a cell. But one of them had a New Testament Bible that had not yet been found yet. And so what he did was thinking they all might be separated from one another. He ripped up the Bible into 23 different segments. So everybody had a piece of scripture and they hid that in their clothes. And right as they finished hiding it, a guard came in and shot one of them right there as they sat. And for months, these Chinese missionaries sat in cells, not even knowing if they would make it till tomorrow. And as Francis Chan got to interview these guys, he was talking to one of them and he said, what do you feel like God taught you from that experience? And this missionary said this. He said, listen, I miss that prison cell. He said, I miss it with every bit of my being because there has never been a time I have felt closer to my Lord and Savior. There has never been a time where I've clinged closer to the cross of Jesus. There has never been a time where I've been more devoted to prayer and the study and memorization of his word than in that jail cell. I wish I could be in there every single day for the rest of my life because I encountered Jesus in the face of my trials. Church, Jesus often allows us to go through trials because he recognized that in trials, we cling tighter to him than we ever do when we are having a success story. When we go through trials, we cling to Jesus tighter than we ever have. Church, one thing I think we need to understand too is this. When we go through trials, Jesus doesn't drive an ambulance. See, he's not that EMT that shows up after the event occurred trying to piece together what happened and then trying to render aid as needed. 
See, Jesus is with you through the process. Jesus sees everything unfolding. He knew before creation ever started what you would be going through today. He knew that there would be hurting, broken people sitting in this congregation today. And let me go ahead and tell you, he is hurting along with you. He has empathy and sympathy and he loves you and he's putting his arms around you. You are not going through this alone. He is with you through the process few things we have to recognize that Jesus does. Jesus uses three things to draw us closer to him. The one being people. God can use people to draw us closer. The other thing, spiritual disciplines, the study of his word, worship, name it. Any spiritual discipline draws us closer to Jesus. And then third, trials. Trials draw us closer to Jesus. Romans 5 verses 3. Not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope so what is something we need to do we need to cling to christ and then we do this we ask for wisdom verse five if any of you lacks wisdom let him ask god who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him now here's what's funny Why do we have to ask for it? Don't you think that the trial should just produce wisdom? Once again, a purpose of a trial is so that we would cling to Jesus. He wants for you to humble yourself and ask him. See, if if anybody's ever been in recovery, AA or Celebrate Recovery, what's the very first step? You're supposed to admit you have a problem. You have to humble yourself and say that my life isn't working out. I am not strong enough to fix this on my own, and I need help. Do you recognize that Jesus wants us to do that on a daily basis? See, I think we take for granted that we can't do anything without the Lord permitting it. We can't do anything without the Lord empowering us. Do you recognize that as a Christian, you can do nothing without the power of our Savior? And when I look at this text, Jesus wants us to cling so tight for him. He says, ask for wisdom. What blocks us from asking for wisdom? The same things that blocks us from being honest with people when they ask how we're doing, pride. But what do we see here? What do we see that we need to do? We need to admit we have a need. We need to ask for wisdom and then we anticipate it. But let him ask in faith with no doubting for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Who's a double-minded man that's unstable in all his ways? The man that prays but doesn't think that God can do it. See, I believe we can pray for anything. And here's the thing. We always say this in a prayer and it's just a habit. Hey, Lord, if it be your will. Guess what? He ain't going to do anything that's not in his will. You can cut that part out if you want to, but you can leave it in. It's not like Jesus is going to like all of a sudden go against his will because you asked. Here's the thing. Jesus wants to hear your prayers and we need to have the faith that upon hearing our prayers, he will do what's the best for him. And in turn, whatever's the best for him is the best for us. We need to have faith that he is in control. We need to have the faith that he hears, he knows, he understands, and he will do exactly what he needs to do for his and our benefit. So what do we see here? We see that trials produce steadfastness. It produces maturity 
endurance. They produce clarity. We see in verse five, wisdom comes in trials by asking. They produce vitality because we can find joy in the trial. And then we see humility. Just to go back, we recognize that not only does James say ask for wisdom, but he calls that brother of his, the high king of heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ. Humility, humbling ourselves. We recognize in the middle of a trial how powerless we are. See, won't keep you too much longer, I promise. The other day I was reminded about something called a tapestry. Media team, can you fill that up for me? See, a tapestry is a very expensive weaving that's been around for hundreds of years. With that being said, what you see on the left side of your screen is the front side. What you see on the right side is the back side. And when you're weaving a tapestry, guess what? It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And in your life, as you go through trials and tribulations, your life makes no sense. None of our life really makes sense. We have no idea what God is really doing, but we trust it's for his benefit and for ours. And we, as we live this life, we only get to see the backside of the tapestry. Guess what the backside of the tapestry is? It's a mess. We have no idea what's going on. It looks completely messed up and discombobulated, just like we feel. But when we look at the left side, what do we see? We see something that can bring honor and glory to the Father. Something that says that He is on the throne and we are not. You would never be able to know looking at the right side that they were building a crown. You'd never know that. We have no idea how much glory and joy God is getting from our lives as we live it. We have no idea how much He is working out for our good as we're living it. But we recognize that that high king of heaven is building a masterpiece out of our life. And he's turning our mess into a message. See, we're messy people. Do you recognize that God made Adam out of dirt? We're messy people. Church, let me leave you with this. As we're going through life and as we're dealing with all of our trials and all of our tribulations and all of our frustrations and all of our hurts, I need you to recognize this. The Father wants you to cling to Him and trust Him while you're hurting. And He hurts with you. He endures with you and He gives you the ability to make it to the next day. Guys, like I said, my, my whole life changed when my little boy was born. Can I tell you, I have a lot of different perspectives. And here's something that's weird for me. When my son is crying, I, I have the obligation within my heart to go see what's wrong. And he's just at the age when he's crying, he recognizes his dad is near. You know what he does? With tears in his eyes, he reaches out those little hands of his. And he reaches up for his dad. Do you ever think that I've ever been able to walk away from that? Do you ever think that when that little boy looks up at me crying for his dad because he knows his dad can make things better, do you think I ever walk away? Or do you think I pick him up and hold him so tight? Church, I think some of you need to hear this today. Don't you think that this great God of ours, this great loving God loves you more than I love my son? I believe he does. And when you're going through trials and tribulations and hurts, recognize that what he wants to do 
is pick you up and hold you and comfort you in his arms, but you have to reach out for him. We ask for his wisdom. We ask for his comfort and he pours out once we've reached our arms out for our Father. For some of you in this room, you've never initially reached out your hands for the Heavenly Father. You've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Listen, today would be the best day of your life if you would make that decision to be adopted into the family so you had a Heavenly Father that will comfort you through all of life's trials. Listen, we're about to open up the altar. Church, you do whatever you need to do today. Come talk to myself, Brother Jeremy, pray at the altar. But do not leave here without allowing God to deal with you in whatever way he sees fit. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for the opportunity we have to make much of you today. God, we thank you for your truth, for your word. God, I pray that while we go through trials, we lean desperately on you. We don't boast in our own strength, but we cling desperately for yours. And we recognize, God, that you have a purpose in the hardships, a, perfect, a purpose through the heartache. Lord, for those who have not given their life to you, God, I pray you give them boldness today to make a decision. We love you. In your name we pray.